Hello, and welcome to Prophetic Voices, Preaching and Teaching Beloved Community, a podcast from the Episcopal Church's Office of Reconciliation, Justice, and Creation Care, where we explore the season and the lectionary through the lens of social justice. I'm your host, Reverend Shaniqua, Staff Officer for Racial Reconciliation, and I'm so glad you could join us. We know that Holy Week can be a lot for church leaders and preachers, so we're releasing an episode highlighting one day of Holy Week each week in Lent. Our thought was that if you write one additional sermon each week, you'd have all of Holy Week covered when it comes. In this episode of Prophetic Voices, we'll be discussing Palm or Passion Sunday, looking at the passages in Mark. Our prophetic guests this week are the Reverend Kevin Antonio or K.A. Smallwood, who is the Associate Rector for Families, Children, and Youth at Grace Episcopal Church in Silver Spring, Maryland. When he's not praying, he is dancing to the rhythm of the beat for the trifold benefit of resisting the isms, self-care, and sharing the love. The talented Michael Toy, who is a lay leader who is originally from Texas and is currently waiting out the pandemic at St. Peter's on Willis Anglican Church in Wellington, New Zealand. And last but not least, the Reverend Nancy Frosto, who is the Associate Rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Long Beach, a founding member of the Diocese of Los Angeles Sanctuary Task Force, and a dreamer. Welcome, friends. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for being able and willing to be here with me today. I wanted to start by just asking a general question. Um, what do we think is important to keep in mind uh, this, this Holy Week for this year? And uh, Michael, why don't you start? Sure. So for me, Holy Week is always about a time set aside. We've done, we've come through Lent, right? And then now we're entering into that last little home stretch, that last little bit before we get to the celebration of Easter. And I think for me, um, in light of everything that's happened in the past 12, 14, 16 months, um, what I am trying to keep in mind for Holy Week and what I would advise, um, I guess, other people to keep in mind is just that the story is always the same. No matter what the context is, the story is always the same. Um, the way we tell it is drastically and dramatically, hopefully dramatically different, um, but that at the core, at the root, the story remains the same in a pandemic, outside of a pandemic, wherever we are on the world, wherever we are in age and life. Um, yeah, that the story is the same. And in turn, you know, the God is the same. The God who is the God in Jerusalem at Golgotha on the cross, that is the same God that we worship. Thank you. Uh, Nancy? I, I definitely agree with what Michael said. Um, and I would also just remind everyone to be gentle with each other. This has been the longest Lent in history. Uh, and we may have had Easter somewhere in between last year and there. But it has been hard. It has been a year-long Lent. And we're entering Holy Week with the expectation of Easter. We know Easter is coming, whether the pandemic is here or not, Easter is coming and it's still gonna be different. And there's no going back to the way that we used to be and it's okay. Um, roll with it, sit with the readings, um, 
sit in prayer um, and and be ready to be surprised by God. Just like in this year, uh, we have been able to find God in the most unexpected places and time as we enter Holy Week this year. Still in our homes, away from our churches, a lot of us away from our altars and communion and our community. Just sit in prayer and know that Easter is just around the corner. Life is just around the corner. Just hold on. Thank you. Kevin Antonio? Uh, thank you, Michael and Nancy, for bringing us into this conversation. I really resonate with uh, what both of y'all have said about um, you know the story being the same and being gentle with one another. And what that brought up inside of me is reminding um, those whom we love and the people we minister to that even though Holy Week, just as Lent has looked different and Holy Week and Easter will look different, um, you know, all the things that come with that and all the, the gatherings and the, the liturgies and all that, even though those things will look different, um, the reason for the season is still the same, right? And I think one thing that's important is how do you bring that um, Mary, Mother Mary is coming into my spirit right now and, and you know, how she pondered things in her heart. How do you bring those things that we would do in community and, and gathered into your heart or into your home? And that's something I've been, been playing around with since the pandemic, um, especially with children and youth, is how do we make those things still tangible for us internally and externally um, and still make it meaningful? Mm. That's a, a great lead into what I was going to bring up next, which is like, what liturgical suggestions do you have for Palm Sunday or the Passion Narrative this year? I know sometimes, um, you know, you have the Liturgy of the Palms, sometimes people process. Um, a lot of times they'll sort of do this dramatic reading of the Passion where different people play different characters. And in my small church, we always do that like last minute. And inevitably somebody gets stuck with that little passage that's like, Aloy, Aloy, whatever, however you say that word. And like, they don't, they don't realize that until they get there. And there's like this super awkward pause. But anyway, what suggestions do you have for this year? So I'll start by saying that um, last year, as we went right into the pandemic, we had to think quickly on our feet. Um, and something that is so important to, my, to, to the parish I serve was the procession of the palms. Um, and we couldn't do that. So what we ended up doing was um, Googling images of processions around the world um, and then having the audio of that song that everyone sings on that day that for the life of me, I can't remember the name of, um, have it in the background as the images um, went by. And it showed that the processions are still happening. We're still united in community. It's just different and it's visual. So this year, because again, <laughs> it has to be um, all digital, there's going to be a version of that, of um, connecting us to the greater community. That it's not just St. Luke's that is mourning the fact that we're not with our palms, um, but that we're all in the same place and, and we're all doing our best and we're still holding what is holy, holy, what is important and what is special. You know, it's that procession, it's the the... The liturgy of it all. So that's something that we're playing around with and we're going to continue to play around with. Um, but I invite any other suggestions because mm -hmm. I'm running out of creativity. 
I feel you on that, uh, Nancy, if I may jump in on that. Um, All of our creative buttons have been pushed and and stretched in in good ways in some, in some ways that can be exhausting. Um, But I like that idea. I'm definitely going to bring that back to my team. Um, One thing that I think is that we've played around with is kind of um, like uh, pick things up. So we have folks picking up communion or picking up... um, uh, packages for like Sunday school or different things like that. Like for Advent, we had folks come and pick up their um, Advent wreath making kits and stuff like that. So I think there'll probably be something of that element, like having folks come, you know, drive to the church. We give them their palm and and maybe some other elements in there as we begin as we're thinking about this. Um, and pick those up and then, you know, bring, again, bring that back into the home, bring that into the home with that element of some type of virtual gathering, um, which I know many people are, are being tired of, but um, when we get weary, we don't stop, right? Um, ministry doesn't stop, right? We do take our, our restful breaks, but um, ministry doesn't stop. So uh, yeah, playing around with those ideas. I absolutely love those ideas. Um, one of the other things that I've seen churches do, and I think I'm stealing this from a St. Matthew's in the Twin Cities area, but um, during the summer when everything kind of dies down, they would take, um, y'all remember that book, The Flat Stanley? So Stanley like gets flattened in some like machine and then mails himself off all around the world. And, you know, he shows up at the Eiffel Tower in the Great Wall of China or whatever it is. Um, and so what they did is they made a f- flat St. Matthew's and then everyone who goes out and travels all over the summer, they go and take their little Instagram photo and, you know, you can hashtag it flat St. Matthew or whatever it is. Um, and I think, you know, doing something like that, using social media and the community and even something asynchronous, right? Cause it is so much of a, there's so much fatigue in trying to gather online at the same time, but if you can do your hashtag with your palms and your, you know, flat Saint, whoever, Saint Luke, Saint Barnabas, um, you know, it's a way to plug in and to join in that story and that drama um, without some of those other logistical hurdles. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So let's start talking about like the, um, the Mark passage that, well, I guess they're both in Mark, but the earlier one that just kind of that they read at the Liturgy of the Palms. What stood out for you as you read this passage? For me, when I was in seminary, you know, they you go to Exegesis 101 and they're like, who's in the story? Who's not in the story? Whose voices do you hear? Whose voices do you not hear? Um you know, and you kind of put yourself in there, you put yourself in the crowd, you, for me, I always like to envision, you know, I try to like go in there and I probably have a horribly anachronistic image in my imagination based on like the Jesus (laughs) film or something. Um, But, you know, I'm looking around and seeing who's there, who's silent, whose voice do we hear, who's maybe standing at the back. Um, And the thing that immediately jumped out to me, right, is this idea of the crowd. And especially in 2020, or 2021 now, um, in light of some events in 2020, we have this idea of crowds being demonized, and maybe rightfully so, right? Um, 
but it really made me think, what is it in this crowd that they're hungering for, that they're thirsting for? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these people who are gathering, why are they gathering? What is the hope that they're placing on Jesus? Is it a, a right hope? Is it the hope, you know? Um, and on the flip side, I guess, who is not joining in that crowd? Who are the people, who are the bystanders, who are maybe skeptical, maybe cynical, maybe thinking we've seen messiahs come before, um, you know, and they all end up dead or, you know, um, killed off. So, yeah, to me, those are the first things, you know, that big crowd, and especially, you know, in the, in the pandemic world, what we do and how we think about crowds, and then also those people who aren't in the story. Yeah. Hmm. I've, I, that's such an interesting, I never, I hadn't even thought about um, the juxtaposition of like crowding in the, in the biblical narrative and then thinking about where we are in our experience of crowds now. Um, I mean, still seeing people run across the street if you're a little too close um, these days. I think for me, um, what's coming up over and over is um, Jesus is very much like, this is what I need and and I need it. Um, and then I'm going to give it back. You know, like <laughs> I love, like he's, he's getting his scene ready. He's getting his entrance ready. Um, I love a good entrance. Um, and Jesus knows how to make an entrance. Mm-hmm. And, but the, the, the part that really stands out is, if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say this, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here immediately. And we know that the gospel of Mark loves immediately, loves getting to the point, loves doing that. Um, but one thing that that's jumping out is um, what is what what is being borrowed from us at this point in our lives? Time, energy, you know, resources. What What is it that's being borrowed that that God needs from us right now mm. that will then be given back to us. You know, a cult is needed for, you know, that's part of the family. That's part of, of livelihood. Um, and, and what ways does, does Jesus borrow things from us personally and communally? And in what ways does Jesus give them back to us? And I think it's in that giving back those things that we, we are giving ourselves of, of this and that, um, and the the joy lies in in the things that Jesus brings back to us, and the greatest gift that we we receive in eternal life. Um, but I really like that that line, right? That idea right there. Okay, you guys are like so deep that I'm afraid to say even say anything because the first thing that <laughs> I thought about was like, wait, I thought it was a donkey. <laughs> I've heard both. I've heard both. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, this whole time I've been lied to because we've been using a donkey to do a procession. Yes. Jesus comes in a donkey. But okay, now that I've moved away from that part, um, that I've been fooled my whole life into believing there was a donkey involved in the story. Um, for me, something that's always powerful and this year even more so is the huge celebration, but the people throwing their um whatever uh, clothing and and that moment 
I may be reading too much into it, but the offering up of something, right? Like this mm -hmm. level of respect and of offering to someone who is coming, who they have been waiting for so long. Like, I can't imagine, um, like, the joy they must have been feeling to know, like, we're safe. Mm -hmm. All of this bad stuff that has been happening, all of this injustice is over we have been saved and, and to be screaming osana osana like like i just like i'm filled and when i put myself in, into that moment of what they must have been feeling and of course because you know i'm such a drama queen then to think about the disappointment afterwards but we won't mm -hmm. talk about the disappointment right now like just immerse ourselves into that joy because the savior was there so that's so powerful because right now i believe I'll speak for myself. I am in desperate need of be feeling that joy of that um, salvation of that. All of this bad stuff is going to end and it's going to be good again. Yeah. yeah. But again, the donkey is important. <laughs> <laughs> I think Cal can be a baby donkey too. So it could have been, could have been both. I Googled it and it said horse. Okay. <laughs> so I just want to put it up there. I did do my homework. There are a few donkeys that are that are out of commission due to the pandemic now, including the donkey that we would have come to our. <laughs> and I'm I'm a, I'm a city girl, so I may be completely like out here and just I don't know. Midwest might know better than me, but I just wanted to say donkey. I think as we translate the Bible to some languages don't have a word for something. So like if there's no word for doves in those places, sometimes the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a pigeon. And so just like those awkward moments where we think something might happen. Who is someone that, uh, you know, you, Nancy, you talked about, who is someone that you would lay your cloak down for? Or better yet, who's someone maybe you'd take a cult for? Mm. You really want me to put this out in public like that? Yeah. Okay, well, I have authority issues, so there would be very few. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> not... <laughs> so I, I, I would put down anything for my mama, mm, right? Okay. And that's about like the only human being in this world right now that I would give everything up for. Um, and of course, like a good Episcopal priest, I will say Jesus. Period. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Um, my mama. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hear you on that. Um, for me, uh, let me not get emotional. I would totally do that for my grandma, Paula. Um, many of y'all probably know her as the Reverend Canon Paula Clark, um, Bishop-elect of the Diocese of Chicago. I would totally lay down um, anything that I had, not that she needed it, but I would lay it down for her. Um, she is truly a phenomenal woman a woman of God, um, the spiritual matriarch of our family. And um, I, I would totally offer what I, what I had to her. And, and I'll, I'll double up on that, Nancy, and, and second the Jesus part, definitely. <laughs> what I got for you. <laughs> oh, man. I think, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this question by not answering the question. Um, I think that laying the cloak down, right? It's about um, like, who are we looking to fulfill those messianic promises and bring that hope? 
here and and who does bring like a taste of that messianic promise and that hope here like who you know um gk chesterton says as much as saint francis was like jesus jesus was like saint francis right in a way to make saints and jesus a little more accessible right so like as much as you Mm. are like jesus jesus is like you um and to lay down your cloaks for everyone who you see that Jesus in, um, I think is not something I'm willing to do personally, um, but something I should be doing. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And just uh, thinking about, you know, how do I lay down for, how I do I lay down my possessions and my things for all the children of God? Mm-hmm. We have a, um, a lady at my old parish called Grandma Gloria. Everybody just called her Grandma Gloria. And she like literally took her coats and got other coats and like taped them to the trees so that people who needed coats in the wintertime could just like take them off. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about that as you were talking, Michael. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes, sometimes I also think about like you were talking about the, the group and um I, I know this is the problem I have when I watch infomercials is like, they could be like, Oh, it's this curling iron. And my hair is all of like less than an inch long. And they're like, it's this curling iron. And it also like cooks your vegetables. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I need this curling iron and it cooks my vegetables. And I get really excited. And I think sometimes that can happen when you're in like a big crowd of people. And so I think, you know, like it can just, the, the spirit or something can come over us. And um, I think maybe if there's somebody that we see where somebody else is really excited about something like about God or about you know, whatever movement, then that sometimes gets us excited. And so we'll maybe lay our coat down, mm. right? I, th- I know that I've been, that's happened to me plenty of times. And I haven't bought the curling iron yet, but I have bought other ridiculous things on. But it cooks uh, your vegetables. Yes. And, and I made me eat more vegetables, right? <laughs> <laughs> so who do you think are some people or what are some things maybe that we welcome with excitement and then crucify shortly thereafter? Mm. Mm any type of social movement, social justice movement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, everybody can jump on board and say like, this is the new big thing. And we see, we've seen it this last year. We've seen it in the summer. We've seen it in the uprisings. Black Lives Matter has not, has not always been loved, but somehow it just became totally mainstream and everybody was rocking their t-shirts and their hats um, and social media. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but wonder how much more longer it's going to take for everybody to turn their back against the movement yet again. Mm-hmm. Um, poor people. We romanticize and we like think like, oh, you know, well, oh, wonderful people and they're suffering and we should help them. And do we actually do anything to change the broken systems mm-hmm. that keep people in poverty? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to go off that, Nancy, that's, a, that's exactly what came up in my mind is, um, I think of the thought of like companies that like alter policies or lessen, you know, their image to make it more or like their traditional image to make it more open to whatever is new and now. Um, and then I saw like this hilarious thing on social media where it was like companies when when um Pride Month comes and they're like, everything rainbow, everything rainbow. And then the next day when it's over, they're like, get all of this rainbow out of here. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, actually, it is kind of like that. Like, and it does feel like that. Um, and and what what's really happening? Like, how deep is this this 
this image of change that you're trying to to show really how how deep is it really affecting the people that you offer whatever you're offering to folks um and does it really uh, change anything that goes on within the company itself well and 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 i think i'm gonna add and maybe this is gonna like sound a little bit weird but whenever we put our hopes on a human being we're bound to be disappointed Mm -hmm. So we may be lifting up a celebrity, a politician, or, you know, the next big whatever, um, and they're bound to disappoint us. Mm. And this is when we need to practice that whole idea of being kind and gentle Mm. with each other, because we're all broken. We're all going to mess up. Mm -hmm. Um, How do we not get to the point where we start crucifying people? Mm. Um, When it's our fault that we put them up in this big uh, pedestal, and when they fall, it's like, oh, well, you're actually crap. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, we just need to keep our hope on on God, mm-hmm. on Jesus, mm-hmm. um, and and try our best, as hard as it may seem in some parts and with some people, try our best to love without judgment. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about politicians. We always like every time they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to get this new person. And people were excited about, well, the people who were excited about Trump got excited when he got elected and they all, you know, whatever. And the people were excited about Obama and they were, and, you know, it's like, the, but then they kind of like can do this really fickle turn. Mm-hmm. Or new rectors. Right, right. New rectors. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, my. It reminds me also of, um, well, as I was listening to you, Nancy, uh, cancel culture and like this whole new thing of like cancel culture. And I don't even really know the fullness of where that came from and how it is. I think that, um, you know, at the core of it, they're trying to uncover things, but it, but it also has those elements of like, um, oh, you know, this person, this famous person or celebrity politician is doing this and, and this is great. And this, this is exactly what we want them to do. And as soon as they it veers from that or they do their history on that person or look back into that person's past, um, then it's immediately like, you know, cancel this person, cancel that. You know, there, there's like no room for redemption. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, it's a very interesting, it's interesting uh, culture, if you want to want to call it that. But um, that started to pop up in my head for some reason. Mm. Okay, one more thing, and I'll shut up because I just, I was you just reminded me of something else. Yeah. Um, and I, I I started saying it, but one of the things that I've noticed is when people don't respond the way we expect them to respond, when we've given them something, mm-hmm. we're so quick to turn our backs mm-hmm. against them. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking specifically of those um, who have no homes, who are living mm-hmm. in the streets. When as a church we like provide charity and provide food and provide this, oh, but as soon as you know someone comes in that obviously is having some sort of breakdown or is addicted to drugs or is drunk. Hmm. Oh, well, we don't help those people. Hmm. And it's like, you're not taking into consideration that maybe part of their survival is having to drug themselves or be drunk because living in the streets would be horrible. Right. So we're like, we, what I'm, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but <laughs> I will just say that sometimes Christians, sometimes churches are quick to lift up a ministry Mm. that they're doing to help the other. But as soon as the other does not respond in gratitude, Mm. 
Mm. We're quick to turn around and be like, you're so ungrateful. Let's stop this ministry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Or if one thing goes wrong, you know, like, or one thing goes wrong. Yeah, like, oh, we can't do that anymore because it's one right, thing. Went right, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Lock the doors. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's sad, but it's mm. true. It is it's so true, Nancy. I'm, I'm happy that you brought that up because you do see that. You definitely see that. Um, and it's like, we're willing to to offer this to you with all these stipulations that we won't mention until you uh, most likely or probably do something that doesn't align with what we feel you should be doing. Sometimes mm -hmm. I think we talk about that in terms of like when people hire people of color, right? Like they're like, oh, we need more diversity. We're going to hire like one person of color to come in. And it's usually, of course, it's never the CEO. It's going to be like the sex den or whatever. And then... Um, they're like, you know, they're like cute and they're adorable for a moment. And then like the minute they assert their authority or challenge something the rector says or, you know, whatever it might be, then it's like we turn on them and like, why aren't you grateful that we gave you this job? Or blah, blah, no. Like, and it, I see that happen in that. Why way. are you so angry, Nancy? Mm -hmm. Right, right. <laughs> Not that I should ever experience that. Mm -hmm. Right. I think we can all... <laughs> oh, you, hi you hire the face, not the voice, huh? Mm. I gotta write that one down. Please do, please. I think sometimes too in seminary that happened, you know, like when we first started, there's just so few people of color. It was like, oh, it's cute and everybody was okay. And I think this happened, what happened at mine, I think, and I think it happened at one other, but I'm not gonna name it, but I went to CBSP. Once we had like enough students of color that there was like several in, at least a few in every class, then it was like something happened. And I think people got uncomfortable and kind of, there was like this weird dynamic that took place and just the spark started to fly. And it was like, no longer were we cute. It was like, we were a threat or maybe seen as a threat, I think. And then the teachers didn't always know how to respond. Let me get off this track. I'll move this. Wait, but no, oh, go ahead, go ahead. But no, I think, I think you're on the right track because that was so Jesus, mm -hmm. right? It was cute. Jesus and mm. a donkey, Osana and, and like palms and all of this. But then Jesus went from being cute to being a huge threat. Mm. That Thank the you, people turned against him. Like he had always been a threat to like the church and the system and the empire. Mm -hmm. But the the people started seeing him as that threat. So like there's something that happens when your people, el pueblo, turns against you because you've become a threat because why? Like I I yeah. I want to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. How did that empire manage to manipulate the people mm -hmm. to turn against Jesus? Mm -hmm. Great question. That's a, that will move us into the other part of Mark, the second, like the passion narrative. There's so many different pieces in that story. So there's like the woman anointing Jesus, and there's like Judas, and there's you know all the different things. So um, I don't even know where to start. So yeah, yeah, one of the things that stood out to me, and this is probably bad exegesis again, but um, I just had this thought that like a conspiracy theory killed Jesus. So you have in the text, you know, you have Jesus taken in the in Mark's text, you have Jesus taken before the high priest, the chief priest, the elders and the scribes. Um, and it says, oh, what does it say? Yeah. So the chief priests and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many gave false testimony against him and their testimony did not agree. And to me, you know, being on social media now, you see so many things, testimonies that don't agree, right? You just see so many different things. You're like, what's, to quote Pilate, what is truth? Or quote Jesus, what is truth, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
yeah and and how important it is for us to find that truth to find um those sources of information and those people i think probably more importantly the people that we trust to guide us into god's truth um you know and not just politically right but also theologically um because bad theology kills bad theology mm. um has led to so many disastrous things you know being here in Aotearoa in New Zealand you've seen how the missionaries brought on um colonization they brought on um mm-hmm. you know yeah we we don't have to go there we all know that story right um <laughs> yeah and how important it is um yeah, just to keep seeking that truth and to keep seeking Jesus and the real Jesus, not just a propped up version of Jesus or um, what we want Jesus to be, whether that's, um, you know, whatever, whatever that is, you know, we just need to be aware of us creating false testimony of Jesus and also of hearing and buying into a false testimony of what Jesus is or isn't. What do you think we can learn from the story of Judas's betrayal? And I, I always wondered, like, was Judas redeemed? Mm. Was Judas in heaven? I'm glad you asked this question because I actually think about it a lot. Um, and I didn't realize I did until it came up multiple times every year. And I'm like, was Judas redeemed? I mean, it's, it's a great question. Um, I think so where, where I'll begin with that is... Um, you know, how Judas uses, um, he really contorts um, such a uh, an intimate social sign of respect and love, um, the kiss, and makes it a tool for, you know, Jesus's death um, and or a beginning part of that, right, or, or another element into what leads him to that. Um, and and then yet when he does it, he still calls out, he still calls him rabbi, um, and you know like teacher. And to me, what's standing out in all of that is um, learning from Judas's story, his betrayal is um, like the mask, like you know what we call like fake, like being fake, like you know like that mask of fakeness, right? Like we all wear a different mask and and all wear different things, right? And now we literally are wearing masks. Um, mm-hmm. But just that, um, like that, oh, like, how are you doing? You know, kiss to the side, kiss to the side. But then secretly, like, on Twitter, like, blowing you up. You know, like, <laughs> all kinds of rude things about you, subtweeting. Um, you know, like, that is, you know, a very, it was very high school of him. Um, and then it made me think, like, adult life is kind of still very high school. Like, a lot of adults still actually act like it's high school. Um, it's very much this this kind of facade um and yet he still he still called him by his name so so it made me think about what we experience in our life whether it be with um authority figures or politicians um and how you know even with with certain politicians who um you know we don't agree with and and all of that like how they're still it, we're still moved to to name the their title or to name name like what they do and, and like how they how the world sees them right but under that there's so much going on there's a whole plan for like their destruction or a whole plan for um in this case the death of jesus 
um, it, it makes me wonder about Judas's redemption in the way of, um, hmm, well, when we have found ourselves in moments of, of being fake, you know, or betrayal, are we, are we not also brought into that same redemption? Um, but we don't, we don't hear much about Judas's redemption. Um, but I would, I would say that he is because, you know, I, I, I love to, you know, really lean into the, the Jesus of, of all, you know, and, and Jesus's love and light being so strong and so powerful that, um, that all are counted, that all souls are being constantly spiraled into, um, in a fire where they're being cleansed and all this type of, you know, allegorically being cleansed into a purity of whatever is acceptable in Jesus' sight. Um, and I guess for me, I think it's important for me to believe that that Judas could be redeemed because sometimes I think like, well, dang, I know in high school I've definitely been fake before. So like, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like is there a little room for redemption for me? I think that sometimes I think of those characters in the Bible who we um who we also crucify, um, I always reflect them in in the same light as much as, maybe not as much as I do with the saints in my own life, but I do think about them in a way of like, what can I learn from this part of Judas's life or this part of X, Y, and Z? Um, How do I, how have I exuded some of those qualities before? And what am I doing to live into that redemption that Jesus calls me to? All right, I feel like I just like said a lot. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> so I'm, I'm I'm about to show my true Gemini self right here. Okay, um, I I I hope I hope we can keep up. Um, I have a love and hate relationship with Judas, right? For many for many reasons. But to answer your question, was he redeemed? Yes. Do I like that he was redeemed? No. Mm-hmm. Yes, because just because, you know, I know the God that I worship. I know the God that I love. I know the God that I have dedicated myself to my whole life to. It's all about forgiveness. Jesus was mm-hmm. about forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And we see in scripture that, you know, Jesus, uh, Judas did it, throw back the, the 30 coins and then and dude hung himself. So there was some sort of feeling bad about the situation right there. Mm-hmm. So. So I, I, I do believe that that he was forgiven. I, I do believe there was redemption for him. Um, now here's the other part. The very selfish, childish, I want my way, Nancy, hates that part of the forgiveness because I cannot picture some of those people that have caused so much pain to be forgiven. I don't want them to be forgiven. I want them to be punished. And thank God, like God does not take my advice on these situations. Right. Um, but that's like, that's when I get all fired up because there have been some people who have done horrible things. Um, that at the end of the day, I believe if they are truly sorry, they will be forgiven. Hmm. And, and I don't like that. And on the flip side, like Kevin Antonio said, I know that I've done some shady things in my past. <laughs> and I just want to say, thank God TikTok did not exist when I was in high school. 
because Lord, what the commission and ministry would have against me on those videos, right? So while I never betrayed Jesus, I know that I too have done my messed up things in the past and I, 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 I want God to forgive me. So like I go back and forth and uh, on Judas and there's this other part of me that says, well, you know, if Judas didn't do what he did, we wouldn't have had resurrection. So he played a role. So how much choice did he actually have? Mm. Which I, I know he had choice. I just like to go back and forth and be controversial with my communities. <laughs> so I'll, I'll leave it at that. If, if any of that made sense to you guys. Mm-hmm. Who or what have we as a church given over to Pilate for crucifixion? Because, right, it was the church that sort of turned on Jesus that was like, we don't like this person. That's such a good question. I'm struggling with it. Okay, I'll ask a different one. You can. No, 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 no. I want to struggle with it. Hold on. Okay, okay. Okay, I, I, I. I hope this comes out the right way. But the church in its past and even in its present has a tendency of turning on those who make it uncomfortable Mm -hmm. or on the things movement situations that would disrupt the comfort of those with privilege. Mm. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying it does it all the time, but we can look back and see that it has it has definitely done it. And I think that while we're in a better place, when you push the church a little too much, Sometimes it pushes back and not in the right way. Mm. I think sometimes we we also have given over certain things to crucifixion. Like, I think LGBT folks have been that in the past. I think anything we can kind of see as other. I know like people of color, if you think about when the, the European church anyway and colonization came to wherever, New Zealand or America, right? then they sort of forgot the part about where Paul had that discussion about must one become a Jew before they become a Christian. They somehow thought that we must become white before we can become a Christian. I think that also has been one of those Mm. things. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't like to think about that stuff because I'm part of the church, right? So I'm complicit to all of this. Um, But now that you got us into this conversation, like I'm, I'm thinking about all the times where, as church leaders, sometimes we're afraid to speak our minds or say something because we know it's going to cause that big pleasure mm. to leave the church. Mm. Or it's it's going to mean a serious meeting with the bishops. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, so, yeah, so sometimes we, like, turn over stuff or turn our backs to stuff or to people when it's going to affect us personally and that makes me really uncomfortable mm-hmm. you know it's um for me i think i've seen churches maybe yeah not so much crucify in a public execution way right um but more of that 
I'm going to turn my back and walk away, you know, like maybe, maybe like Judas, mm. you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do my part, kiss the thing, you know, and then turn my back and walk away. Um, what, whether that is, um, you know, standing up for a moral principle or, you know, um, diversity in church, LGBTQ, um, inclusion, um, money, right? Like the Bible has a lot to say about money and systems around money and maybe even capitalism. Um, and how many churches, right? Is money just a total third rail? Um, and, and then, you know, I was thinking about this when we were talking about Judas, Judas betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, you know, and for churches, like, what is, what is that 30 pieces of silver? Who are those big pledgers mm-hmm. we're trying to appease, um, you know, like there's this re- realistic logistical situation of a decline in church attendance, a decline in um, an aging population and demographic in the Episcopal church. There's less giving, um, you know, and I can see, I can see that Judas struggle in, in Jesus in uh, in the Christian church today, you know, like what are we, what do we need to do to keep the money? What do we need to do to keep the money? Um, and, and when does keeping the money become a betrayal of Jesus um, and everything that Jesus stood for in terms of forgiveness and inclusion and radical love and radical self-giving. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I um, What's coming up for me um, is the body and all the beautiful things that it can do, but particularly thinking like we've, we've mentioned um, you know, people of color and, and LGBTQ, um, like, as as full human beings, right? But thinking beyond, like, the voice of, of those people and then thinking even more of, like, the body. Um, you know, what can you and can't you do with your body in church? Um, how do you use your body in the church? Um, and, it, and And it's so important for us to be able to not just, um, you know, say that we want to be, to, to exemplify the kind of welcome and inclusion that we believe that Jesus brings to us, we, you know, as part of a cornerstone of the faith, but to actually bring in the whole person. Um, I think we sometimes chop up people and crucify different parts of people, um, mm. you know, like, you know, are you are you the dancing priest that I saw out there dancing on your street? You know, what I'm saying, like, yeah, you probably did see me out there. Um, you know, I think we we still are are having, and you don't like Nancy said, you don't. It's not like it's the whole church, right? But it's still in the church. It's still in pockets of it, and as long as it's still in pockets of it, we we as as people who are part of the church, we must be concerned with all of what is going on in house and out house, right? Um, and so I think that that's something that comes up for me personally all the time. Um, and, you know, I think people are used to seeing my arms and hands and, and seeing me in this very timid and submissive way. Um, and then when they may see me in a different way um, or, or see me dance, it's like, you know, first it's, it's like awe and it's like, I didn't know you could do all that. And then, you know, do it a little <laughs> too much and it's like, mm. Like you might want to tone it down a little bit, um, and so sometimes we we 
we do that. Um, we give over the, the fullness of the human body and, and the beauties that it can bring. Um, we feel crucified. I mean, the church has, has a long history with crucifying the human body. Um, Paul doesn't really help with that. Um, <laughs> but um, but it's, it's far past time for us to really see all the beautiful things that it, that it brings. And, and I think we, we get closer to that the more that we um, welcome, you know, people of color, LGBT folks, the other poor people and the fullness of their body um, as beautiful as they are and, and all the things that they can do with it. Um, yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah, total. Amen. And I think I would add to, um, that was beautiful. Really brilliantly said, um, to me, it brought up issues of inclusion of accessibility and disability. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, how bad are we as the church at including people of all abilities? Um, you know, even even in our broadcasting and our live streams and stuff, how many of us are putting up captions or using a service that automatically puts up captions? Um, how many of us have dedicated seats for people who are in wheelchairs? Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's just a whole, yeah, and, and celebrating the beauty of the human bodies no matter what. Um, they're bringing to the table. And I, and I think there's a way to do this without, can I say fetishizing, you know, and, and being tokenistic and um, in, in, this, in this inclusion. Um, you know, and like, you know, if you, don't, if you don't have any deaf people in your congregation, don't hire an, a sign language interpreter to be up there. You know, that's, that's, that's weird. Um, you know, but, you know, there are ways that we can um, be better. Um, at inclusion and and acknowledging bodies, right, and the diversity in bodies um, and the goodness of bodies. Yes, yes. So I'm. We don't have a lot of time left, so I'm going to kind of give us a closing question that may take a moment to reflect on. But how might you, as a person of color or LGBT? or some other aspect of your like social location, understand or interpret this passion narrative differently or uniquely? Hmm. I think for me as an indigenous person, I often think about it like, you know, while we might not think of America as being colonized or being like um, occupied, it definitely is, right? Mm. As an indigenous person, we're occupied by European forces just as Rome was occupied, or Rome was occupying uh, Israel. and um, and I kind of, sometimes I think about that, or I think about how, you know, as uh, tribal folks, how we might interpret the interactions that are going on in a different way, because we're much more collectivistic than maybe, um, Americans are. Mm-hmm. Um, as a Black man, one part that's standing up for me is, um, you know, when, when Jesus is like, you know, he's like, could you not stay awake with me for one hour. Um, and he's really calling his friends out on that. Um, and, and what I think about it in a Black context is um, in, in Black families, it's, you know, when someone is being targeted or has been targeted um, by police or by some system, um, 
it's important to that you um, gather around that person. And, and this is nothing that's, you know, solely that happens in Black families. I believe this happens in other contexts as well. But thinking about it with that context, um, you know, staying with your people, even as like we wake each day, knowing that that death is possible. Um, mm. A death that's not, you know, you know, by old age or by illness, you know, a death that is, is intentional, a death that is systematic um, and systemic both. Um, I think that, you know, it's important for us to be mindful of how we gather around one another and lift one another up in these moments of like, in these daily moments of like continued fear, continued anxiety, generational PTSD. Um, it's so important to hold tight to one another and, you know, offer, you know, lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be mm-hmm. your friend. Um, because, and especially now, especially now when we are so distanced, I think that, um, you know, the whole world is experiencing this in, a, in, in you know, in unprecedented ways. Um, but, you know, I don't, and I don't say this with any shame or guilt, you know, I do believe, I do heavily think about disabled folks, LGBT, um, people of color, people who have always been ostracized, um, people who have always been pushed to the edge. And how those communities, like whether it's meeting up with your friends on the weekend or, you know, gathering here or gathering there or, you know, going to a ball or, you know, going to the basketball court, you know, um, has been stripped away. Um, and how those weren't place, weren't just places for people to, you know, hoot and holler or to sashay, but to actually um, have community, to actually lift one another up, to actually be like, we are here today, we're here this night, and I love you, and, you know, I pray that I will see you again tomorrow. Um, and, of course, we know that, you know, Jesus is preparing for for his death, but in so many ways, um, you know, Black families often teach Black young men um, how to prepare to in- interact with police officers when you come across or are pulled over. Um, and, those kind of, and even when those things fail, you know, there's still a possibility for death. Um, that's kind of what's standing out for me. Mm. Well, that's really hard to follow. Um, so, sorry, yeah, like you said so much good things. I was like, oh man, I need to like reflect on all of that. <laughs> um, <laughs> when I first read this question, I immediately thought, um, so I'm Chinese American, um, and I have an uncle um, who was a landowner during the communist revolution in China. And um, as y'all probably know, landowners were not, uh, it didn't go well for landowners. Um, And, you know, he was stripped, beaten publicly, um, and still found a way um, to live his life without resentment and bitterness. Um, And, for me, you know, seeing that image of Jesus being stripped and that crowd, right? And I think it's such a reminder, one, not to be part of that violent crowd, you know, like we want to see justice. Like I want to see the overthrowing of the capitalist system, you know? 
Um, I want to see the overthrowing of a private land owning system, but I think, you know, we just have to be so careful not to be violent in our, in our thirst for that justice, right? Uh, these are people, right? And these are children of God, right? This is Jesus who are stripping and beating no matter who it is. Um, and then the other part for me as a queer Christian, um, you know, that passage where it talks about Jesus breathing his last and the temples torn in two from top to bottom. Um, I grew up a Southern Baptist, right? So like we have a very different theology from Episcopalian theology. And um, um, coming into the Episcopal church, I could feel that curtain tearing open, you know, and, and I'm so grateful for all those people who went before and those people who fought and advocated so that um, there is a path for inclusion into the holiest of holies that a queer Christian can stand up at the altar of God and, and proclaim that this is Christ's body and Christ's blood that is offered up. Um, and so for me, I always get like chills, you know, whenever I think about that curtain, that in such a, such a dramatic moment, right? Um, that now the place that was the most set apart, the most guarded, the most, um, you know, impenetrable, um, to use a bodily word, is now open and accessible. Um, so yeah, that's kind of, those are my thoughts. For me, as a Latina, I see this story and in a way that there's many roles you could play, right? So I'm going to try to make sense of this. Um, a couple of days ago, I was in another podcast and we were discussing um, the book uh, Good and Mad, and it's all about women's anger and how... As women, we have been taught to silence our anger. Um, you know, it's not cute. You got to smile more. Uh, it's not attractive. And when you express the anger, oh, you're just too emotional. So that podcast was all about like talking about women's anger and like, how I identify with it and all of that good stuff, right? But I've been thinking a lot about that. And then in thinking about this, one of the things that I discovered in reading that book was that I, from a child, I had been taught that anger was bad. So it was my job to not show my anger. As an undocumented immigrant in this country, I was told from the very beginning, you don't make waves, you don't show your emotion, you become invisible. Mm. Which is another thing we tell women, yeah. right? Like if you're not gonna be cute, just be invisible. Mm -hmm. um, so when I think about this story, I think about all the characters we actually don't know their names and they're not focused on. And I think about what role as a Latina in the Episcopal Church, as an undocumented Latina in the Episcopal Church, what role will you play? Will you play the role that many want to give you as the angry Latina? Will you play the role of using your voice and staying till the bitter end at the, uh, you know, at the feet of Jesus? Mm. Or will you turn away? Will you let your anger at injustice turn you into one of the soldiers mm. and use violence against the one you proclaim to follow. Mm -hmm. So 
I'm going to sit with this question much longer than this podcast. <laughs> because I really, I, I want to think about all the characters we really don't get to focus on. Mm-hmm. Well, and in and, and, and the time that we're living, right? Like, how will I choose to live out my ministry? When there's so much injustice happening, when the church plays a role in it, and you are part of the church, who will you choose to be? And will you continue to follow Jesus, even when it means forgiving those who betray you and Mm. those who deny you, Mm -hmm. those who deny your humanity? So I have more questions than answers for you at this point, um, which means it's a good thing because now you made me think. So <laughs> gracias for that. Thank you so much. I, um, I'm i just going to bring this up and kind of put it as a snippet in here. But like when you were talking about the people that don't get mentioned, Mark is usually really concise, but in his passage, he talked about this young man wearing only a linen cloth. <laughs> who got caught and like runs away naked. And I've always wondered, like, obviously it was in there for a reason. I have no idea why is that like comic relief? Is it like meant, I like, I've always just kind of wondered about that. And then I was trying to think metaphorically what it might be like. And I'm kind of thinking like the tele-evangelists who hide behind the Bible and do all these horrible things. And then we catch them and, you know, you they sort of strip bare and you kind of usually find out like they're like having an affair or, you know, whatever. And then they run away naked in that sense. But yeah. I don't know. I was curious about it. <laughs> I, li- I like the whole telenovela feel you're giving it, though. Like, I like yeah. the drama. Yeah. <laughs> Mark thought it was time to change change it up a little bit right there. <laughs> I love too how every other person, you know, if you believe in Mark and priority, it was just like, uh, nah, we're not gonna include this story, you know? <laughs> <laughs> too much nudity. You know? Quite interesting. Well, thank you so much for being willing to be on this podcast. I appreciate all of your time and wisdom, amazing wisdom. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today. If you want to learn more about Beloved Community, visit episcopalchurch.org forward slash beloved hyphen community. Thanks to our guests, Kevin Antonio, Michael, and Nancy. Thanks also to our production team, especially Chris and Phoebe. If you heard something that caught your ear today, please rate, review, and of course, share our podcast. Until next time, Let your light shine. You're invited to join thousands of Episcopalians, neighbors, and friends this summer at the Love Always Revival at the KFC Yum Center in Louisville, Kentucky. On Saturday, June 22nd, get immersed in inspiring worship and community, deepen your love for God, kick off the 81st General Convention, and extend a warm welcome to folks discovering the Episcopal Church. The revival is free to attend, so bring your friends. If you're from a neighboring diocese, check in with your diocesan revival champion to find out about group travel options. You can find more information along with registration at iam.ec lovealways.